the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 65, recorded Friday, November 9th, 2012. Air Gap. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, with us this week is George Tucker. He is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. How are you, sir? Um, great. Great to be here, guys. Uh, and also uh, from uh, Commercial Integrator, the senior writer for Commercial Integrator, Mr. Craig McCormick. How are you, sir? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. You guys got some snow this week, and... And I'm a little jealous because you're both on the <laughs> East Coast. So yeah, but it's all gone now. So well, that, yeah, that's what Chris Craig was saying before we got <laughs> on the air. He's like, "Hey, yeah, it, it was there, and now it's and now it's not." So that's yay. I'm uh, sure it'll be back again. Well, yes, absolutely, because you know it's it's November, and you know, good Lord, heaven help us, we can't have a a winter without snow. Oh wait, we had one last year. Okay, um, this week we're going to talk about some uh, an Open Control Architecture Alliance, which um, I knew existed, but some interesting people have joined it. Uh, the CE Pro 100 Hurricane Sandy, because well, you guys are on the East Coast and we haven't gotten enough of that. And uh, last but not least, we're going to start off though with the election. Yay! <laughs> My biggest thing about the election is that the commercials are over. Yay! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Craig, uh, Craig uh, George and I agree a lot when it comes to politics, so uh, I'm not going to get into the political side. But a couple of months ago, actually, uh, one of your counterparts, um, Jason Knott, wrote a piece on CE Pro, and you guys as, as, at Commercial Integrator had uh, some other kind of uh, similar stories about who would be better for the economy and who would be better specifically for the AV industry. Uh, so, Craig, we'll start with you. Now that the election is over and, and President Obama has has won uh, uh, another four years, um, is do you think that it's going to have a big impact on the AV industry and in business in general, or is it going to be kind of? Eh, I mean, are we looking at, at Clinton's last four years, or are we looking at, you know, I don't know, Eisenhower's last four years? Well, on, on commercialintegrator.com, we we had. Uh kind of dueling stories you know why why obama would be best and and why romney would be best and and i know that the most objection came to the obama one so there i'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people in the industry who, who probably are not happy that there were people saying you know they were going to have to start laying off people the the day after the election so i don't know if that's that's already happened i hope hope not for the folks in the industry um i i i think it kind of remains to be seen I thought it was interesting that um, Obama talked a lot about uh, climate change in his uh, in in his uh, in his acceptance speech mm -hmm. and and his uh, his victory speech on on election night and I think that that could have some some potential uh, impacts for for uh, for integrators uh, in in that space and and you know green AV that that sort of thing so Color so I, I I think it kind of remains to be seen and but but I I. I I know that uh, we did have a lot of objection to to Obama being the choice, so so I, I don't know how people feel about that now. George, do you think that is because I'm going to paint a very broad brush here, so I apologize if I offend anyone on this. Business people, by and large, are conservative in general in nature, and well, let's be frank here, Mr. Obama is not, let's say, conservative in nature. Do you think that's why? Um, the the biggest uh, the biggest uh, objection to to Craig's uh, the commercial integrators articles was about the the, the president you know maintaining uh, his post. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do think that that was all about business. It wasn't about technology. It wasn't about innovation. It was about bottom line concerns when it comes, I guess, to the healthcare, to taxes and such. Which I have to frankly say is less of a concern, I think, for most people when you compare the two. I mean, not not to take any real sides here, but it, the Republican Party in general tends to seem a, a little 
resistant to technology, as it were. Um, and in all of my uh, workings with politicos of, of various stripes, the Republicans seem to think, okay, there's technology, but they really want to see it from what's my bottom line and not what the innovation is, unless there's a bottom line and then you ship it off somewhere to make it cheaper. Um, and again, I don't want to get too aggressive on that, but that, that seems to be my, my take is that everybody I've talked to is, let's look at this way. How many people have we made fun of in the internet memes in the political circles, especially the Congress, that were Republican or Democrat? I mean, we've got the guy that thought it was not a dump truck, it's tubes. It's tubes, yes. We've got, we've got a bunch of people who on the science committees didn't understand the basic parts of the technology itself and were just being fed lines. So I don't know. I mean, from the business side, I get it. But from a real true innovation and technical side, I have my concerns that the Romney campaign would have done anything different. Yeah, but let's let's also take the other extreme. You know, there there are those congressmen and, uh, who who do know about technology and specifically Twitter, mm-hmm. especially those in the New York area. I don't want to point any fingers yes. or name any names. <laughs> Somebody who's in a, whose unfortunate name just led to his. Well, yes. <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, type in Twitter and Congressman Wiener. Okay. Yes. Moving on <laughs> quickly. Um, a couple of things came down the, the bike this week, and this is kind of all, all hit and miss. First, we're going to uh, go to Mr. Fred Wilson, who is is not only a, a hero of mine, but also George's as well. Uh, Fred is a, is a venture capitalist, a uh, really smart guy. He is. He was one of the first investors in, in Twitter. And a Democrat, by the way. And I didn't. <laughs> thank you for tying all that together. I don't care if he's a Democrat. I still like him. I don't care if he's a Republican. I still like him. <laughs> Note what I did there. I'm not either. Figure that one out. Um, so it, Fred writes in, in his blog, and it's avc.com is, is his blog. Um, he's talking about uh, specifically Hurricane Sandy and the cloud. And, and Fred is in, in, is in New York City. That's where he, he lives and, and he and his family and he started to talk about all of these great things in the cloud. And let's be frank here. He's a venture capitalist. Most, I'm, I'm going to guess here and go out on a limb that most of his money is tied up in the cloud in, any way, in, in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's, I don't know if, he, if he's personally invested in these, but stuff like Rhapsody and, and, and Pandora. And whether that's the Google Drive, the, the new version of, of Google Docs or it's the Dropbox, or what have you, he is heavily invested, uh, both from a personal standpoint and also in, in his business, in the cloud. And he's, he's tar- he starts talking about how we deal with, quote unquote, the cloud, as lovely as it is, and disasters. Like, in other words, how do we get to this stuff? Where, what are we doing with this stuff when disaster strikes, like Hurricane Sandy? Uh, George, you guys are in the middle of, you and Craig both were in the middle of that. You were both on the East Coast. Talk a little bit about how the cloud it was affected and i don't mean to be simplistic here by sandy with the with the obvious with the obvious one being well we couldn't get to the internet but how do we i mean is does this put i guess a a a black mark on the cloud because of stuff like this i think it's a concern definitely um there was i think rather I don't want to say I was surprised, but I was disappointed that, that there were moments where a lot of that stuff went down, Dropbox and, mm-hmm. and the rest. And one would think that... Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Um, I didn't, And again, I didn't notice Amazon when I read about it, but Dropbox, I actually noticed, like, well, uh, what happened to my files? <laughs> um, and, you know, somewhere in the back of my head, I knew they were there. I knew it would be fine. There's redundancies built in. But that paranoia of not being able to grab your media or whatever it is you have on there, it really was concerning. I was like, yeah, that's something they should have thought of. I mean, it almost felt to me like somebody, they had their main servers like on Mott Street and the rest were on Water Street. And like those two were like, you know, right next to each other. They're in the same elevator, they're in the same city. <laughs> you would think there'd be one at least in say, I don't know, St. Louis and New York. Yay! You know, two geographically disparate, disparate places that in case some disaster happens, the rest of it's okay. I like it being in St. Louis. Yeah, there you go. Well, Sorry. I was trying to throw some it's work close. at you. There I you appreciate go. it. Yeah, um, you know, you guys got trunks there. You got big old telephone trunks. We, we have one. Stuff. We have one 256k modem uh, in the middle of St. Louis, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, that would explain a good deal. And, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean seriously. I, I was like, you know, again, I had that paranoia, I had that fear, that sort of clinchy. Uh oh. And we knew it was going to be okay, but there's needs to be some serious revisiting of. 
their emergency scenarios. It, and and I know from talking to a lot of people, there's still a big concern about security in the cloud, and and it's definitely less than it used to be, but it, it's you know it's still there, and and you kind of wonder in in a situation like this whether you know security of of information is compromised. That you haven't haven't heard anything about that yet, but you know it, that doesn't doesn't mean it didn't happen and won't be won't be talked about at some point. Well, not to play stupid here, but what are the security concerns people have? Well, I, I think a lot of people wonder exactly where their information is going, and and mm. and in in a lot of cases, it's you know, people that aren't totally familiar with with kind of what the cloud does and what what it doesn't do, and you know, kind of how it how it all works. Times when you explain to them, you know, what what it's all about, their their concerns are less. But I think people don't always think about you know kind of the way they're sharing information. I, I've heard a lot of you know it. it it happens a lot in in the healthcare industry that that you know mm-hmm. doctors will pass along information that they maybe they'll be passing it it'll end up in in somebody's hands that it shouldn't be in and that you know and and the same in the banking industry so it's it's yeah. it it is a concern it, it it definitely like i said is less than it used to be so it's really more about people snooping and or having access to files and then passing that along right. when they're not supposed to well and right. some of that's just people being I almost said stupid, but people not thinking thoroughly exactly what exactly. they're doing. Yep, yep. And and you wonder if any of that was was compromised in in a storm like this, where you know all these these sites were were down and and you know I guess vulnerable. Hmm. Although if they're powered off, you can't do it. I mean, it's a high impedance air gap, right? I mean, I guess. Wow. I've never heard that protection. phrase. Nobody can get in. Nobody I, can get out. I hey, love uh, that. A high impedance, impedance air gap. Air gap. <laughs> okay. For those who are listening and don't know what that is, it's usually an unplugged cable. Yeah, just think about that for like two seconds and then, yeah. All right. <laughs> Whew. Um, this month on the cover of Commercial Integrator, in case you forgot, people still make magazines and Craig works for one of them, so you should check it out. <laughs> Uh, Commercial Integrator, and also on the website, commercialintegrator.com, is a buddy of ours, uh, a good friend of the, of the show, and, and actually of all three of ours, um, Chris uh, Chris Neto. His company, the company that he works for, AV Help Desk, is on the cover. Uh, and the, the president, Steve Grace, um, was interviewed. You guys, uh, Craig, you guys did um, a story about just c- consultants in general, and uh, right. and your counterpart, Tom LeBlanc, wrote, wrote the story about this. Uh, First of all, talk to me a bit about how these guys are doing that and also a little bit about how consultants are maybe morphing themselves in this industry. Um, well, um, it, I know a lot of people know a lot about, about specifiers. The, these are definitely definitely more than that. And they, yeah. they, uh, they talk about how they've, they've never lost a client, which I, I think is, is definitely an interesting claim. And, and um, when Steve was pressed on it, he said that's, that's definitely true. It's, it's for sure. You know, we have we have not lost a client, so so they're obviously doing something right. Um, I, I, I guess um, the 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 best way to to say it is they uh, they definitely know know what they're doing, and they're they're certainly growing. And um, hmm. one of the things, uh, George, that that Steve talks about in here, or, or the that Steve Grace talks about in the article, is that they are taking the old AV consulting model. And kind of throwing it out the window, and something that Chris uh, Neto has talked about before on the show, where he not only is he's not just a specifier like like Craig mentioned, he's also in there and in the trenches. Is this something that like is this is AV help desk a an anomaly, or is it something where consultants are going to have to be more than just like Craig says a specifier? Oh, absolutely. I mean. The world has changed with everything from being able to get anything you want on Amazon, <laughs> whether you know how to use it or not, but you still can get it for the most part, right? Um, I mean, there's very limited pieces of gear that you that are really held back by manufacturers to be dealer only. So you have to be that service person. You have to be the person who can explain it. You have to be the person who can provide support when an event happens or when they want an upgrade. You have to be more than just, all I do is put the drawings down. I mean, I think those days are really, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine anyone who's in business who will survive more than a year or two more without changing to something along this kind of line. Hmm, I mean, you, you can't. 
Well, and, and I would agree with you. And, and the one thing it, it, Steve Steve did say, yeah, we haven't lost a client. That's huge because as as a pseudo end user, I, mean, I work for a, a community college here in St. Louis. I, good lord, I can't I can't count on one hand. I don't think I can count on two hands the number of consultants that have gone through this place in the last ten years. So. <laughs> Saying that they haven't lost a client is really is really kind of saying something. Uh, this comes to us. This next story comes to us from GeekWire, um, which is a kind of a neat little website. It's something that George caught wind of, and it's it's a uh, well, it's a it's a file patent. Let's talk about patents for a second because that's always exciting. <laughs> but um, in, in all seriousness, this is could be huge. Let's just put it that way. It, what it is. It is a patent for a quote-unquote consumer detector that would disconnect mm-hmm. content if you did not have a license for that many people. So think of it this way. I'll see if I can't simplify this. If you are on your Xbox, okay, and I, I have one, so I'm, I'm, let's go through this. You, you've got your Xbox. You're on the Microsoft Media Store. I don't even know what it's called. And you want to rent Thor, or you want to buy the latest Batman, and, and, and you do that. Somewhere in there, somewhere in that agreement, is a license for five people, let's say. Okay. Well, if you have a Connect and it's hooked up, and you have six people in your living room, and it detects that, suddenly you don't have Thor. <laughs> George? <laughs> I don't like this any more than I like, you know, the government telling me, you know, what I can do in my house. But here's what I, I, I put that we, we use Delicious for our feeds, and I put this on the Delicious feed. This is HDCP on steroids. <clears throat> because not only is it saying, are you connected to the proper display, it's now saying, hey, you only paid five bucks for that, and you can only have three people watching it. It's, I mean, how big of a deal is this going to be if it goes through? I think this really bad I, I i can't imagine anyone accepting us but then again we're we talked about the cloud i couldn't imagine not having the document creation application on my personal computer five years ago i thought that was outrageous that i would let somebody be able to control that and then maybe hijack my content um i hate this in more ways i think it's an outreach by microsoft to try to dominate a marketplace and say hey guys you want to come along with our our box because we can protect you from this, but and I don't know what the ratios are. That and that's where my question comes in. Are we talking five friends, ten friends, or is it really looking for something far more than that? I mean, are we looking at the bar? Are we looking at the you know that kind of thing where there's people who are doing making money off of things that people that produce the content have always been upset about? And there's a whole other can of worms. Like if you're at a bar and you're doing the live Super Bowl and somebody doesn't want you doing it because you didn't pay the license, I mean, it changes the entire economic framework personally i and but from a personal level it is outrageous that you would do that it's just outrageous because how can you not let people watch the content that they've purchased regardless of how many people they have in their home well and this does this open up a whole new little not stream for them but it gives them the opportunity to say okay you know what Maybe on the on the little TV it says, you know, how many people do you want to buy this for? Maybe that's the option there. Um, the one thing I, I will take exception with you, though, I, I, you, know, you say that people won't stand for it. I didn't think people would stand for HDCP, and here we are, you know, five years later still having to deal with this thing, and it's, it's the point now where I've said, okay, you know what, we're going to have to deal with this. This is going to have to, this is something we're going to have to deal with as an industry because, you know what, people have, by and large, dealt with and I think what it may be do what it may do is it may be something where you know the license is so big maybe 10 or 15 where the vast majority of consumers won't even notice it and then the one or two people where it is an issue to then they say hey by the way you have too many people you have to give us an extra five bucks if you want this many people to watch it well, and that's where my question of the threshold comes into. Yeah. I understand why they're saying it. I understand that they're saying, like, piracy. They're getting, you know, some facility are making money without Piracy them. is a red herring. Yeah. It's... You know, well, it may be a red herring, but there, there is some legitimacy to the statement. But it's the ratios that bother me. Why would you say it's five? Could it be 10 or 15? Maybe. But where does it stop? And I, I'm buying a multi-user license for content. Please. <laughs> I mean, maybe 10 years from now, I'll go, yeah, you know, I do it too. 
But oh, it's just it's outrageous to me, and I'm being subdued about it. But man, does it burn me up? It it definitely seems like it's a, an extreme response to to what obviously is is some sort of problem on on Microsoft's in, in Microsoft's opinion. But it I I kind of agree with with what you guys are saying about it being a money grab. I I don't I don't really get what what the point of it is other than that. Well, and here's my point, guys. How about fixing the um, the Connect issue with identifying anyone who's not pure pale white? <laughs> yeah. First, and then we'll talk about this other stuff, huh? You've read those articles. It's like, oh yeah, it has a little more a little difficulty doing the so contrast. You, so you're saying that the the Connect is racist? I didn't say that. <laughs> okay, I did. <laughs> That's fine. I don't think it was intentionally so. Oh yes, you. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> All right, uh, go back to let's go back to Sandy for a second because I I, I missed this and I, I meant to, to mention it when we were talking about the uh, the original one. But Craig also wrote an article about um, Hurricane Sandy keeping integrators and consultants busy and not just after the fact. Is that right, Craig? Where one of the things that actually we, we, we stole an article stole we used an article from you guys last week about how um, ways that consultants and integrators can help people kind of get prepared for this. I mean, this is not something that happens every day, let's be honest here. But whether you're on the East Coast and you have hurricanes and you have snowstorms and you have, you know, all this other jazz, or you're on the West Coast and you have earthquakes, you know, they've been telling me since I was, you know, like a little kid that that California was going to fall into the ocean. So, I mean, how, how, are, how are integrators and, and consultants helping their end users? Whether yeah, it's residentials um, I, or, or commercial guys, how are they helping them prepare for stuff like this? Well, I, I think obviously right now, you know, they're they're stepping in to, to help them, you know, get get back on their feet and you know get their businesses and and homes back back up and running. But um, one one of the interesting things that came out of this was uh, the, um, the the IT company I talked to, Atrion, mentioned that about a month or so from now they'll they'll have their sales staff, you know, kind of talk to, you know, some some of the companies that. You know, had had outages and and problems and that sort of thing, and and talk to them about what they can do to kind of prevent that the next time. They they don't want to you know make it seem like they're you know seizing on an opportunity right now. So so they'll they'll give it some space, but uh, but you know later on down the road, the, their sales staff will have conversations with with their their customers and you know talk about you know think things that they can do to maybe prevent it next next time around. So so wh- whether they have you know kind of a gap in in their their uh, their their capabilities right now, or you know, just just have been resistant on buying a certain piece of technology. You know, that they'll uh, they'll talk to them about the best way to do that. So, well, that was going to be one of my question, questions, George. Was um, <laughs> is how do you do that without sounding crass? I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, obviously, like Craig said, you're not doing that right now. But <laughs> is it in a week? Is it? In, are you George? Yes. You seriously? What? You were doing that right now? No, 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 oh. no. I was saying yes to something else for you. No. Oh, no, no, sorry. No. First of all, I, right now I currently work for a staging and event production company. We don't do that kind of stuff. So <laughs> that's completely out of our purview. No, what I was about to say though was that here's my biggest thing with that. Yeah, it's. A, I'd say it's a month or so. Usually though, what'll happen I think is in the past experiences, the end client will actually bring it up. Let's get you recovered. Let's do this, and they'll usually say something the husband will say all right so what do we do to 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 make this not happen so badly next time and you go oh you know i'll have my guys get in touch with you about some some options that may that may be of benefit i i think it's a far easier conversation than everybody's making it out to be at the moment um but it's necessary uh although one of the things i want to see these people have a conversation about please is stop putting the stuff in the basement <laughs> I know it's where we want to put it, but please, everybody that you read about is saying, yeah, well, the basement flooded up to the top and it was six feet of water. Yeah, okay, well, that's where water goes usually if you're on the seashore and if you get in your flood zone. Can we can we not put stuff in the basement, please? That would help a little bit. It, yes, it, it would it would help a, a good percentage of the people, but there were those who had you know, yes, water well, up to the story. rooftop, so it wouldn't matter if you put it in the attic at that point. Well, but it wouldn't even matter to the we were talking about this. I mean, it wouldn't matter to anything we just talked about. It wouldn't matter to those people if it's up to the rooftop or if it got blown down. I mean, it's it's a start over, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, although I that's do, what we call a rebuild. <laughs> way back when I worked for Crestron, we did receive a picture from somebody that they had just installed the system, 
and we got the picture, and it was the entire front of the house completely blown off. Wow. And somebody had done something with the gas line or the propane line, and it, when nobody was there, thankfully, it exploded. And it looked, I mean, the entire house looked like it just went up in flames. And their shining, bright new, in their black, shiny <laughs> racks was the restaurant gear still still there. Oh, <laughs> it, was just, it looked as though nothing had happened to it. I was like, oh, look at that. Um, last, but, I mean, I was gonna say, well, last week we had we had uh, we had Rich Fergosa on, who had, who he lives on the West Coast, but he has buddies that that do this on the, do residential on the East Coast, and he had guys sending him pictures of just racks laying in the middle of the street. Yeah, you know, yeah, being flooded. Well, that out. whole breezy point in parts of Staten Island, it just, I mean, I mean, look, I I grew up on the east end of Long Island. And while they actually had trouble, they didn't get quite as hit. But they're also a nautical community where a lot of those older houses and even the newer ones are built to withstand at least the Category 3 at most points. Um, I know people will quibble with me on the code. But those those houses stood pretty tall. Uh, and they're pretty high up. Um, but that, that kind of stuff is expected. <laughs> if you live on Dune Road out in the east end of Long Island, you expect that if it's going to be a hurricane, you might as well call it a wash. Wow. Yeah, because it just comes right up. I mean, the ocean... What was it? Eleven foot surge or surge, something yeah. at some mm-hmm. places. I mean, that's that's right up the dunes, right up the road, man. I mean, jeez, wow. Yeah, and he, you know, my, my worst. Well, our, I shouldn't say our worst thing. Our worst thing is is flooding here. So yeah, know, we've had a couple, a couple monumental ones. Last one was the last big one was was ninety three, ninety two, ninety three. So, um, all right, moving on. We're going to go to Andrew Robinson. Uh, an article that that we got sent on uh, George Sinis and <laughs> just the article got me George I'll have to admit because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big coffee head so it the title of the article is what would Starbucks do uh, and other great creative ideas for fixing the AV industries he also talks a little bit about the film industry but he makes a good a few good points in here about you know there's a couple he, you know he goes let's let's just say that we're talking about speakers and you need to buy speakers Um there's a couple of different ways you can do it. One, you can you know you can get online and kind of do your own thing. Or the other thing you can do is you can go into a, a you know an AV store. A, a, you know, a, here in St. Louis we have a couple. One is um, the Sound Room, and it's you walk in and a uh, let's just say not skinny uh, older <laughs> gentleman with a gray beard and probably a gray ponytail walks up and starts spotting off specs and names and digits and numbers. And you start, you know, your your eyes kind of glaze over. Um, George, how as as an AV industry, uh, besides serving good coffee, can we take a, a page from from Starbucks? Well, you know, this actually is something he wrote in reaction to an article he for a home stereo magazine or something. Mm-hmm. I'll, I will post the link. I forget yes. in which he went to the Rocky Mountain Audio Festival, in which it was a lot of this esoteric audiophile gear, right? And his problem with it was that, yes, this kind of stuff is necessary, but if that's all you're showing, you're blocking out an entire market segment that is necessary for your growth, right? If you're just showing $10,000 turntables and $1,500 headphones, you're going to put out an entire sort of, you know, the Generation Y is not going to look at it. No. They just, they're not there, and you're not going to entice them because you've given them nothing to step through to get to that point. Where are they going to go? Best Buy. They're going to step into a, uh, a, a, spe- a AV specialty store. They might, but what's been most people's re- uh, experience when they step into one of these higher end stores and they're not dressed in the latest, you know, very high fashion but relaxed looking wear is they get the sniffly nose. You know, what's your budget? Oh, yes, well, there's a store down the street. So his, <laughs> it, well, I mean, come on, it's true. No, no, you're right. You're is right. I'm not, just, I'm, I'm chuckling because you know, you're right. And, and it's, hey, look, this has been my personal experience. I'm in the business, and I at one point was looking to redo my entire media room. And I had a decent budget back then to do it. I didn't have kids. We both had incomes. It was great, right? But they wouldn't even talk to me, even though I knew they sold stuff that would fit my budget, and I could, we could have done it. So how do you entice these people? We have to change the perception that it's not going to be there unless you, if, unless you bring yourself to the marketplace. And, you know, he talked about the Starbucks model. I was thinking, and I think he mentions it in the article, the old days of going to a record store and being able to listen to the record. Mm-hmm. Well, why not, he said, have listening parties? Why not bring in a local band or somebody of name that you can possibly get? I mean, there's lots of them out there. It's actually not as expensive as people think. 
and you bring those people in and you just have to understand what's your cost and what's the ratio of return that you want from it. If you get 1% return and these people start buying, yeah, it might be a five-year plan, but you got to bring them in because they're not going to buy the stuff from you. They're still buying the Dr. Dre headsets from Monster, or he's now no longer with Monster, but and they sound terrible, mm-hmm. but people are buying them. Look at the um, Skull Candies. They at least sound a little bit better than the Dr. Dre's, but they're still pretty awful audiophile, or not even near audiophile listening. But they've got fashion, they've got style, they've got a marketing savvy that gets the kids in, and they do all kinds of events. They show up at events. All right, so you're a local dealer. You can't sh- you can't sponsor most likely your own, I don't know, um, X Games type competition from with local kids, but maybe you can. But you can also turn your place into that. Ca- look, bookstores became cafes, other stuff like that. You have to sort of branch out and make what you're offering almost incidental to them, but yet they get the chance to fiddle with it and a chance to go, oh, I can afford this, or I've just listened to it. Oh man, do I crave that? Well, and that's the other thing, is is keeping that in front of the kids. I mean, Craig, the, you guys have, have talked about before about how to connect with your customers. You yeah, know, I, I've, I've but, done some, some stories, and, and I, I remember at least one integrator talked about how you know, be, before, before kind of signing a, a deal with, with a client, he, he would have them either stop by or he would bring them to one of the installations that, the, that they already did to kind of listen to the system and kind of get a feel for you know what what it would do in their whatever restaurant or bar or office or, or whatever and and you know kind of understand kind of what what they were getting into before they were getting into it and i, I think a lot of it is just kind of paying attention to what the you know that the customer wants rather than kind of walking in and saying you know that this is the kind of system you're you're going to get you know that 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 sort of thing you you have to kind of understand kind of what what the solution is that that they want and kind of build it from there so what's the difference between you know the the one coffee guy who makes one cup of coffee one blend and, and it's like you want my cup of coffee this is what i make so take it or leave it versus you know the venti triple frap non-fat blah 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 you know you can specialize it however you want so yeah. well you know in new york there's a thing called um, book bars it, it, I see, uh-huh. a book bar like books like you know, read and then, and then you, you and then you drink. And you, so, yeah. so you drink and you read. Yes, but what you do? You drink you alcohol and you read. Yeah, <laughs> you leave you there. Okay. So you get off the train. You're going home. Like you're going to take a bus. Wife's, yes, <laughs> they have the little books there. Your books in the back, sort of. You know how they have um, the guys with the scotch. The scotch, you know, is yours. It's on the shelf in the back, and you have the library of scotch where you can get yours. Well, this is the same thing with books, but but hear me out on this: is that they also served food. They also had party space. But I, you came there every day. You had your book. The idea was that you came in, and if you had a book, you got discounts on the on the drinks that you bought, okay. and you lingered, and you stayed, and you bought more, and you realized that this space was very comfortable. I should do something more. Let's go have dinner. So, again, the natural draw was it's not something you would think naturally would be associative, but it really worked well. You got home, you read half a chapter or a chapter while having a pint, and you went home and had dinner or did whatever else you were going to do later. It really was this comforting middle ground decompression zone. Same thing with these kind of stores. Find it to make it a place where people want to come in on their way home or you know on their lunch hour to decompress, enjoy themselves, yet entertain or feed themselves in some odd mix but you can actually get them and then you start to build that clientele that wants to be there and a larger percentage will buy not all you're going to lose a few but that really does work you just have to think non-linear and long tailish okay <laughs> i have learned something today i can go to new york and read and drink mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time all right and not just, not just the beer bottle well, I, I assumed as much. I assumed there would be some some fancy fancy, you know, high brow, you know, liquors like some scotch and stuff. So there are, and there's also beers and pints. But yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a great little concept. Wow, you learned something. There's a, <laughs> there's a reason I stay in St. Louis, kids. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on to Engadget. Uh, Seagate is now a member of the DECE, which most of you are saying, "What the heck is that?" It's the digital entertainment content ecosystem and george what this means is that they support ultraviolet is this a yay or is this a eh, okay next story i 
I part of me wants to be excited and upset at the same time about it. Why upset? Man, why upset? It, it's so limiting. And again, it's further constricting the controls on how you can get your media. And there's like you can't just put it anywhere. And your backups are an issue. And I mean, I, I haven't done a lot of research into Ultraviolet, but a lot of the reviews I've read and the one or two people I know personally who's used it love it, but they go, well, I can only do this. Yeah. And it's sort of limiting. And it's sort of like, again, it's another step in the direction of, oh my gosh, I had 1984 on my Kindle and they took it away from me. How could they do that? Because it was 1984 and it totally made sense to do that one. Yeah, well, and there was five people in the room when they were reading it, so yeah, they kind of took it away. <laughs> Jeez, wow. <laughs> I mean, think about that, actually. If you're starting to read from a book in the Connect, are they going to go that far, too? See, this is where it gets really big brother and nefarious. No, no, they're going to change He's the vocabulary on it. Poetry out loud. There's people there. You know. Oh, we've got to cut them off. They turn the lights starting off to think George is a little paranoid. He is. I'm getting him, a, a, I'm getting him a, a tinfoil hat for, for Christmas. So. I read much, <laughs> way too much dystopian uh, literature. <laughs> yeah, so do I, unfortunately. All right. Uh, Craig, is this... Um, I don't know. Some some is this a good thing, a bad thing? Uh, eh, you know, no big deal. I, I don't think it's a, a big a deal. I, I don't think it's like the the connecting. I I think this is probably not not as as big a sec- security breach or you know any sort of in, invasion of privacy as that. So so I, I'm not I'm not as worked up about this as George certainly seems to be. <laughs> Well, I'm taking it from the angle that it could be, but yes, absolutely. You know, I just I just see it as another you know another thing for them. I mean, Seagate Seagate, Seagate makes very good drives. They usually you know they 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 had a couple of years there where they weren't exactly you know hitting all cylinders, but for the most part, they make pretty good drives. And so I, I just kind of see this as you know they can they can you know no, this is one more step in their evolution. Uh, let's talk about Sennheiser for a second. Um, a good buddy of mine, uh, a buddy of the show, uh, Michael Drainer, just recently started there, so we're going to pick on them for a second. Uh, the uh, it, the story comes from digitaltrends.com. It is the Sennheiser IE800 in-ear earbuds. Mm-hmm. They're $1,000. <laughs> Craig? I, I will not be purchasing Thank them. you. Um, Is there I'm sure some, someone will, and I'm sure they have some sort of market analysis that says that there's there's a demand for this and an interest in this, but it's it's certainly not for me. Mr. Uh, Audiophile, Mr. Weighted Knobs, Mr. Tucker? You got the Weighted Knobs parts right, but uh, <laughs> hey, look, part of the thing, like when we go back to about the, the high-end dealers, what kind of music do you listen to? Well, I listen to everything from jazz, okay, you get the nod, to lo-fi, anti-folk. Oh, don't want to talk to you. Um, but the thing about Sennheiser with these things is that they really want to show that they're always at the leading edge. I mean, the thing from Andrew Robertson was a lot of his rant on about the Rocky Mountain Audio Festival was headphones are a big thing. Why aren't you offering reasonably priced audiophile or at least approaching audiophile level stuff for the entry level? These aren't quite entry level, but Sennheiser has a history of saying, here's a loss leader. Here's something that really attracts you. You're not going to buy this, but you know what? You're going to buy the next level down because it really has that cool factor. And you believe that if we build it this well, the stuff that we build down the line, it's going to be built and sound just as great as well. I'm sorry. Or at least accept it. Did you call this a loss leader? Yeah. At a thousand bucks? How many people are going to buy it for the cost? Of okay. All right. Uh, you know, there's a. Hey, look, I could be completely wrong, and Michael can come on and he can, you know, smack me around about it. But I'm sure they sound great, although, uh, come on, they're earbuds. How great can they sound? They're earbuds. You know, I mean, in ear monitoring systems are pretty cool, but they're still not the best. I mean, you have to have an over the ear cans if you're going to be approaching anything audiophile or if you really want something. I mean, I agree. $1,000 for something that I'm going to work out in? No. Yeah. But it's well thought out. I mean, it's got the, the, the airports, it's mm-hmm. got the little uh, stuff on the back, it's got an actual driver in it. This <laughs> was a seven millimeter yeah. dynamic driver. That's awesome. I, I will. I'll beat them up, and then I'll give them props. Their new headphones. They're over, you're talking about over-the-air uh, cans. Yeah. Uh, they have these retro ones, retro-looking ones. Sweet. Which ones are those? Uh, you're gonna ask me for like a product number. I don't know. Hang on. Let okay. Me, well, let I'll me, look it up later. Yeah. Let me ping him um, and see if he's online. But yeah. There you go. Very nice. Although got, they do, they do come with something that I think every in-ear pod thing should come with, and it comes with a nice cleaning kit. Well, yeah. 
yeah, that's one of the ones too that we don't talk about. Ooh, disgusting. Yeah. But it's, you got to do it, people. <laughs> and not just with your fingers every once in a while with your fingernails. You've got to clean those Yeah, well, out. you know, as I've said before, I have a five and seven-year-old. They have some in-ear monitors that they only use when I'm around. And I've locked the volume on their iPods so that they can't or their little DS's so they can't go too loud. Yeah. But I'm constantly having to go in going, here's this cleaning tool, let's do this. And I'm like, hey, Dad, it sounds better. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for playing, kids. Dad knows mm-hmm. a little bit what he's talking about. Uh, now clean those ears out. Yeah. Um, all right, next story from uh, our buddies over at Rave Publication. Audinate joins Open Control Architecture Alliance. Yay. Thank you. The OCA. OCA. Um, this is an alliance, and it's people like Bosch and Prasanas and, and Yamaha. I'm going to ask an evil, evil question. Uh, and considering the people I've had on the last two weeks, I may get angry phone calls. Uh, here's my question. Where the freak is Extron and Crestron and AMX in this alliance? I mean, I, I've, I've asked this before. It's an open mm-hmm. control architecture alliance, right? Yep. Where the freak are the control companies? I mean, Craig, let's start with you on this. Is there a reason besides the fact that they want to keep control over their protocols? And I get that. Believe me, they've spent a lot of money in in, in research. But come on. I mean. Oh, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think you, you got the reason right there. And, and you're you're right to call them out. And but But I'm not sure that that'll spur them into action necessarily <laughs> yeah me me calling them out i'm sure we'll we'll send uh, randy klein shaking in his boots so absolutely <laughs> mr george yeah where are well, the I mean, three first of all it's well first of all it, this is something that's a continuation from the audio engineering society i uh, forget what the actual name is but i, I know that that it's like one of their aes dash 24 dash some development committee that was there in the early 2000s uh, for doing this. I mean, where are they on the other um, video bridging stuff? Uh, I haven't seen anything of that. Now, they may very well be there, but they're not putting their name behind it because they don't want the attention yet because there's a, um, you know, there's there's a desire to say, okay, when we finally get it working and we have a product, we're the first out the door and no one's going to beat us to it by having some simple chip that does a third of what we can say it can do, um, but still says that the first out the door and get some sales from it, right? Is this I don't know like, this is true. It, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, is that kind of like, you know, um, Oh, HD, HD base T being baked into uh, Crestron's digital media, and nobody really knowing it until the last you know year or so. Yeah, I, yeah. One would say that that's yeah, that's exactly what they, I'm doing. Um, there might be some of that going on, and it's all behind the scenes. And look, they were also people like Crestron and AMX were part of Plugfest, or I guess the Crestron. I don't think AMX was, uh, which is this little development community of saying, "Hey, does your box work with my box? Let's see if we can all make it work together." And it's and it's then a learning and, and communication uh, committee of, oh, we, you know, we all have the same specs. Oh, no, we didn't. Why didn't that work? All right, let's figure it out. They didn't announce that kind of stuff until years after they were doing it because they were moving towards a certain product that they wanted to announce and it when it was fully blown. That's and, why they made such a big stink about HDMI, allowing HDMI certification on certain boxes that weren't full spec. And, and to be more specific, what George is talking about is the HDMI consortium had a plug fest where you physically brought your product you took an HDMI cable and you plugged it in yep. to everybody else's stuff. And if it worked, cool. And if it didn't, you guys kind of, you know, your engineers figured out, you know, why it didn't work. So Right. There a lot of finger pointing and blaming and then, oh, yeah, well, let's fix that. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but, yeah, so that might be very well it. Although it also could be, and I, and I hate to say this, that there's no need. I'm sorry, there what? Be. There's no need. For what? For this. For the consortium? Not on the scale or the, the, in the product sense that these companies need, it still works fairly fine. I mean, I, I'm still trying to figure out really what I would do with this. I kind of get it, but it doesn't seem like something that's urgently needed. I don't know. Correct like, me if I'm wrong. Okay, you're not wrong or, or right. I, I like standards, and I like consortiums like this because it makes my life as a pseudo-end user slash you know, technology manager a lot easier when, you know, you know, pin two is hot, let's say, um, going back to, to, you know, RS-232, uh, when we all can agree on that, well, then make my, it makes my life easier when I go in to try to fix a room or install a room or what have you. Sure. Um, it doesn't, you know, and, and I, again, I understand there's, you know, there's R&D and you have to recapture stuff and I get that. 
But as again, as an end user and somebody who deals with the with the product, it does make my life a lot easier when we can all kind of agree on this stuff. So that's just yeah. But I mean, look, CEC was supposed to be an agreed upon standard for some kind of open control within HDMI, and tell me how much it's done. I mean, come on, guys. You, we've talked about this before. That there's companies that don't apply the standards that they said they'd agree to no, or yeah. insisted on. There's companies that say, "Oh, you have two DVD players. When you turn one on, we're going to automatically turn the other one off." Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. There's no. I, I'm I'm not looking for retribution or for, for punishment, but there's not there's no recourse when they don't do what they say they're going to do. I mean, what are they going to do? Look mean at them across the table at their next meeting. I mean, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do what you said, so I'm going to give you the stink eye. Yeah. Well, it seems pennywise pound foolish that they're developing these standards, and yet uh, maybe it's they're burning in backwards to let the consortiums and the companies work together. Even though some of that means that the company, another company's product line, might not be relevant in another five years. I, you know, I don't know if they're purposely avoiding this thing but they keep pushing for open standards and yet it always collapses on itself because no one will implement it the same way and we as we said before midi midi is the perfect example of something that did it right and why nobody's following it i can't understand midi has a certain set of functions you can do you have the the all the features that you need and then there's something called a sysx command which is exclusive to that product or or line of products that no one else can read but you can still transmit it and pass it through and it doesn't affect the other stuff so you get everything you need You've got your open source and you've got your, your proprietary stuff all in one, <laughs> and it works. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we following this example in all these standards we're making? I don't get it. No, either. But if you're going to make it an open standard, make it open with that availability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, last but not least, uh, we're going to give a, a tip of the hat to probably the most genius. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make a little jest at, at, one, of, uh, at one of Craig's um, uh compadres uh julie jacobson wrote a piece um tvs may be the next big thing in home tech i put this right next to the thing that <laughs> cars might be the next big thing in 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 transportation uh, <laughs> i'm i'm i kid because i love julie uh in all seriousness uh, george she talks more specifically about the fact that smart tvs and and um, all of this Ultra HD, and in case you haven't gotten the memo, Ultra HD is now what we're calling 4K, which if you can't grasp the exasperation in my voice, it's fully there. I wish that we would just stick with something. But um, is is she right where when it comes to home and, and, and residential AV, this is going to be the centerpiece? It's not really the switcher anymore. It's not... Um, necessarily the, the other devices, this is going to be our, our new centerpiece. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, there was an article on TechCrunch, you know, um, decrying, yay, the second screen becomes the primary. And yeah, for those you who yeah. don't know the terminology, second screen is your little, your iPads, you know, your mobile device. Even your laptop can, can yeah, be a second screen. Yeah, be second. And what I've noticed with a lot of the guys that I talked to in this is that they're developing systems and their networks that they're building. Yes, there's a main screen, there's a 60-inch plasma or whatever it is in some main room, but less and less of that is happening, and more and more is the distributed network where people are watching the same thing on their second screens next to each other. Now, maybe this is a Gen Y thing, and maybe it's, you know, but I've, I've noticed it more and more that they're building these things into the networks of these uh, installations where it has to carry this media so that the main screen is really secondary. Hmm. Will that develop into people using the, the second screen as one content, but the main screen is what they're really watching, but they want to watch the sidebar stuff? You know, here's some additional information about the show we're watching, or I don't know. Because remember the early days of HDTV when they were talking about off-air broadcast of these HDTVs? They had a smaller resolution because they wanted the side bandwidth to be used for Internet, for mm -hmm. alternate information, for coming up B-channel stuff. And that went away in favor of 1080p, but... That was the original intent. So are we getting to that as well? I'm still unsure. But I really am doubtful that the main TV screen is the wave of the future in any sense, whether we're tongue-in-cheek or not. I, I do believe it's really here to stay. Craig, would you like to <laughs> – um, how do you feel? Seriously, I mean, in all seriousness, um, is the – because I, I actually agree with Julie on this one. Is, is the TV – kind of the, the, the centerpiece or the new centerpiece or, or about to become the centerpiece again in our living rooms? 
I, I think that it's definitely a possibility. And just just to be clear, the the, the TV got about 15 percent of the the attendees at the CE Pro and and commercial integrator summits. Uh, wow. that, that's kind of where this this poll was was taken. So, and and the ne the next one after that was uh, 4K and and also uh, also people talked a lot about about wireless about about 10 percent talked about wireless and, and 4k is as the next big thing so so there there are other things it it doesn't sound like 3d got a lot of a lot of traction but thank goodness well no, she also mentions that that networking and and, and wi-fi had some mention but less than years prior which i don't think means any less attention to it it's just considered a given it's ubiquitous it, it's expected to be there so we're really less interested in it because it's a platform or a medium that we know should be there. It's like the electrical light switch, you know? But see, that that's why I kind of see where she's coming from when it comes to the TV and, and, and the other people at, at the at, at Cedia, where, again, or once again, the TV can be centric. The TV is exciting. I mean, like you mentioned, wireless and, and, and network. It's gotten to the point where that is ubiquitous, and the television was that was that way for a long time. And now, once again, it's the, the functionality that they're adding to it, and whether that's an Android operating system or something that's proprietary, like that's on, on the Sony's. These little gadgets and gadgets that they're putting on them, I, I think, is is making them as exciting and making them relevant again. I, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm going to disagree because I don't that I don't want it. I'm not going to use it. I'm going to use my iPad. If I want that stuff, I'm going to use my yeah. iPad. I'm not. Okay. I'm not a gesture. I'm not going to be waving at the thing or <laughs> using a, a another tablet as a controller to access information on it. It's just too awkward. Even with say even like the Control Four on screen stuff, I get why you do it. That's a little easier, but it's still a little more awkward. It just, I, you know, I watch my own kids. I watch young kids. They're not going to do that. They're going to go to the device in their hand and watch that and or use that as the 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 main access. You are a gesture. Uh, it could be. I'm gonna make you it don't know gesture. which gesture it is, though. No, I don't. All right. On that <laughs> note, we're going to wrap this sucker up. Uh, with this this week has been Mr. Craig McCormick, the senior writer for Commercial Integrator Magazine. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, let me know or let people know how they can get in touch with you, how they can follow you, the Twitter, the face, the stuff. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter. My uh, my handle is Craig McCormick. It's uh, M-A-C-C-O-R-M-A-C-K. And you can, can follow me there, and you can find our articles at uh, commercialintegrator.com. Yeah. And we also publish a monthly magazine. Yes, they still, they, you know, paper and everything. So Hard to believe. It is. Uh, also with us has been George Tucker, uh, the engineering coordinator for World Stage uh, in New York. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. I love being on. And uh, let people know how they can follow you with the Twitter and the stuff. The answer to that is yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, Tucker Twos on Twitter. I am Tucker Tuesday at, at typepad.com. I'm on AV Shout Blog. I'm 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 there. You just find me. I'll be there. Just Google George Tucker and go to the second Tucker page. Twos. Yeah. Tucker Twos. Tucker Second page. Yeah, maybe the second page. Could be third. <laughs> First page is nothing but just bad stuff. So don't worry about it. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you'd like to follow me, it is TD Tim David Albright, A L B R I G H T. Uh, but more importantly for me and everybody here at AV Nation, please go by the website, avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. That's where you'll find all this podcast and others as well. You can also find us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and on Google Plus and wherever else um, we, we uh, wherever else you can find. Uh, social media stuff. So yeah, check us out. Uh, avnation.tv avnation.tv That's all the time we have for AV Week. AV Week.